0: morning everyone. Good to uh, come and share with you again this morning. Thank you for your warm welcome and the invitation to come and bring God's word to you. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to do that. Um, Roger mentioned uh, joining us at Hillview Church this evening. Of course you're very welcome for that. Our service this evening is a worship and communion service so please feel free to join us at 6.30 for that. Uh, we spend about an hour or thereabouts in, uh, in worship and sharing communion together. And then we usually have a few minutes of praying together at the end as well. So if you're free and you'd like to join us, it would be great to see you at 6.30 this evening. If you've got your Bibles, uh, please open it to Daniel chapter 9, the passage that uh, Roger read for us a few moments ago. Roger mentioned that this is part of a series on uh, what you have called the puzzle of prayer. And indeed, prayer is a puzzle, isn't it, in so many respects. And I hope that we might get a little bit more of an insight today uh, as to what prayer is and maybe what prayer isn't. And uh, we'll be thinking about that from the passage that we've had read to us, page 895 in the Bible, in the Church Bibles. Last week you were with Ivor Cooper. He was thinking about praying when it is tough, the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Um, I don't think he quite anticipated that his answer to prayer would be a dislocated hip, but that's what he got as a result of wrestling with God. And then next week, Morris, uh, I think in the last in the series, is uh, helping you to think about praying with humility. Uh, Sorry, pray, pray like this, the Lord's Prayer today is praying with humility. Next week is pray like this, the Lord's Prayer. So this week we're thinking about praying with humility based on the passage that we've had read to us. Do you remember in school, um, well, some of you are too young to, they, they probably didn't use this in, in some of your days, but in my day the three R's were kind of key to learning. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Quite how they got three R's, of an R, a W, and an A. Well, I do know how they got it, but you know. That's, uh, that, those were the key elements of learning, reading, writing, arithmetic. And um, I don't know whether you remember those, but uh, that was certainly part of what I learnt in my younger days. Um, Well, we have a different three R's today that I want you to remember, I hope, and might be kind of uh, pegs that you can hang thoughts on as we go through this morning. My three R's are recognition, reality, and reverence. Recognition, reality, and reverence. But, of course, um, context... And the context in which Daniel's prayer comes about is really important because as somebody once said that a text taken out of context is simply a pretext to be able to say whatever it is you want to say. Um, So it's important we understand the context. So let me just paint a little background for you before we get into the meat of of what this prayer is about. The first verse of chapter 9 of Daniel tells us that it was the first year of the reign of King Darius. Historians tell me, because I am not a historian personally, that that was about 538 BC. Long time ago, two and a half thousand years ago. But this is when this prayer was prayed. And as one of the commentators put, more importantly, it was the year after the fall of Babylon when the hopes of the Jews in exile for deliverance would have been running high. The Jewish nation, because of their disobedience to God, had been taken into captivity, taken away from Jerusalem, away from their homeland. They'd been there for many years. But the fall of Babylon gave them fresh hope. And Daniel's understanding was that those days of exile were drawing to a close. It was not imminent, but it was a lot closer than when it had begun. And it was in that context that he... Praise his prayer. Did you notice in verse 2 it tells us that I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years? He had read in the scriptures, in Jeremiah the prophet's writings, that 70 years would be the length of time that the people of Israel would be away from Jerusalem. And he knew that it was about 50 years previously that they had gone into captivity. So there were only 20 years left of the 70s. So it wasn't imminent, but he knew that it was getting closer. And there was a sense of almost anxiety, almost desperation in his praying as he prays this prayer. Even now, there were some who were going home. To Jerusalem because the king had given an edict, passed a law that said actually the Jews could begin to return back to their homeland, although most didn't at that time. And you might ask me, well, why is context important? Well, it's really important because we should never take uh, any verses of scripture and just take them for what they are. It's always in the light of things around them at that time. And uh, of course, none of us today prays outside of the context that we are in. When you talk to God in prayer, and I assume that most if not all of us do at some point or another, some of us more regularly than others maybe, but when we talk to God in prayer it's in the context of the life that we are living, in the land in which we are living, and in the world situation in which we are living. We do not pray in isolation. And Daniel certainly didn't pray in isolation. And as we consider his prayer in a few minutes' time, we'll see that there's, as I mentioned a moment ago, almost a desperation about his prayer because he wants to see God at work amongst God's people. He wants to see transformation in God's people. And that's the heart of his praying. He'd read the Scriptures. He'd read Jeremiah's prophecy and had was reminded that God was at work and that things would come to an end. Indeed, they were, whilst not imminent, they were a lot closer than they were. And that drove him to pray as he did. There are always things that drive us to pray. For some of us, sometimes, it's desperation at a personal level. For some of us, it's, it's desperation in the land in which we live. Roger was praying a few moments ago about the, the nation that we live in. And frankly... Brothers and sisters and friends, we live in a land that's a long way from God, don't we? By and large, of course there are those like us who love and worship the Lord, but we are very much in the minority. And successive governments have taken us further and further and further away from our Christian heritage. And we live in a land whereby we ought to be those who cry to God for, the, for His work at work. Uh, in, in to be at work in our land today I was uh, a part of my preparation I looked at uh, of course one or two books and commentaries and things and I came across this little book which has been on my bookshelf I don't know that I have ever read it in full a little book called by R.C. Sproul called Effective Prayer it was written the best part of 30 years ago now um, and in it he says a number of interesting things let me just read a couple to you Thinking about prayer. The very reason we pray is because of God's sovereignty. Because we believe that God has it within his power to order things according to his purpose. That is what sovereignty is all about. Ordering things according to God's purpose. So then, does prayer change God's mind? That's where he began this little section. And he says, no. Does prayer change things? Yes, of course. The promise of the Bible is that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, as James reminds us. The problem is that we are not all that righteous. What prayer most often changes is the wickedness and the hardness of our own hearts. And he goes on to um, quote Jonathan Edwards, not the long jumper Jonathan Edwards, but the Jonathan Edwards, the preacher who lived many years ago. And he says this, Jonathan Edwards, With respect to God, gives us two reasons why God requires us to pray. With respect to God, prayer is but a sensible acknowledgement of our dependence on him to his glory. With respect to ourselves, God requires prayer of us because it tends to prepare us for its reception, for the answers. Fervent prayer, in many ways, tends to prepare the heart's. All that God does is for His glory, says Sproul. First, it's for His glory first and for our benefit second. We pray because God commands us to pray, because it glorifies Him, and because it benefits us. And that's how Daniel was praying. And we'll read as we come to those verses in a moment. We'll consider again how it was that he was looking to God in these things. But before we get into the three R's, one further thought on these first three verses. Did you notice in verse 3 how it was that Daniel prayed? I turned to the Lord God, pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. He came recognizing that this was serious business that he was about that he needed to come with his own heart right before God as he talked to him in prayer. He wasn't coming to God lightly or easily. This sackcloth and ashes was a sign of repentance that was common in Old Testament days. And so he was coming with a serious intent. We'll think about that a little bit more in a moment. But the three R's then, the first R of recognition. Daniel recognized that he was approaching, as he says in verse 4, a great and awesome God. O Lord, the great and awesome God. He also recognized that he was approaching God who was righteous. Do you see that in verse 7? Lord, you are righteous. This God that we come to when we talk to him in prayer is not some little idol sat on a mantelpiece somewhere. He is the great and awesome God of the whole universe. He is the creator, the sustainer, the one who upholds everything simply by the words that he speaks, Scripture tells us. He is a great and awesome God. Daniel recognized that. He also recognized wonderfully the last part of verse 4. Sorry, the middle part of verse 4. Oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Isn't that a lovely little touch in there in Daniel's prayer? On the one hand, he's reminded that God is awesome and great and magnificent. There is no one like him. And on the other hand, he's a God who having made a covenant with his people, it's a covenant of love, a covenant of grace, a covenant of mercy. And Daniel has that understanding. He recognized as well, under this little word recognition, he recognized that the judgment that the people of Israel had endured was entirely their own fault and an inevitable response from a righteous God against the sin of his people. Have a look at verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. Verse 14 says something similar. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. God's people had been warned many times. Um, at Hillview, we have just concluded a a series that we've been doing on and off over the last 18 months in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And uh, time and again in Deuteronomy, you read of God saying, if you do this, it will be well. But if you do that, it's going to be bad for you. And if you ignore me, bad things will happen. He says it time and again. In fact, he goes to the point of Moses says, now I put before you today life and death. Now please choose life, Moses says on behalf of God. Time and again, the people of Israel could not have said to God at any moment in time, we didn't know. And Daniel says, it's because we ignored you that this thing happened, that we were taken away into exile all those years ago. We cannot blame anybody but ourselves. So this response that God had in sending his people into isolation, into captivity, was as a result both of the people's disobedience and of God being absolutely true to his word because he said that's what would happen if they disobeyed. And they did. And a question I have for you this morning and for me is this. As we recognize, as Daniel recognized this great and awesome God, this righteous God, this one who is the one who dealt with their sin and rebellion, is that something that we recognize about God for ourselves? Is that how we see God? Do we recognize that as we read the scriptures and as we look at our own hearts? Do we recognize God in that way? And if we do, what is our response to God? As we come to him in prayer, as we talk to him, whether we close our eyes and put our hands together or not, as we talk to him in prayer, what is our response as we recognize those attributes of God? The title for this morning is Praying with Humility, and that's a key, isn't it, that we'll come back to again, that we come humbly before this God who is great and awesome, ...because we recognize who he is. And secondly, I put the word reality. There was recognition and there is reality. It's a similar thought in many respects, but let me take you into it. Because Daniel lived in the real world. He wasn't cocooned away. Yes, he was an advisor to the king. He was in uh, a place where he had all sorts of privileges... ...but he knew what it was to live in that world... He had been part of the people of Israel who had been taken into captivity in the first place. And he knew what had caused it and he understood the reality of the fact that people had sinned and people had failed God and he was part of that. Much of his prayer is taken up with the reality of that understanding. I don't know whether you noticed as Roger was reading it to us this morning, I jotted these things down. Verse 6, we have not listened Verse 7, we're unfaithful. Verses 8, 11, and 15, we have sinned. Verse 9, we have rebelled. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the Lord. Verse 11, we have transgressed and turned away. Verse 13, we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God. Verse 15, we have done wrong. Do you get the picture? Daniel certainly did he understood the reality that that sin was causing a huge barrier between the people of God and God himself. Sin is not something that ought to be trifled with or treated lightly. The Bible uses the word sin. The world doesn't like that word. It's understandable because it points fingers at us. It says about you and me that we are not all that we like to pretend we are. It says that God sees us for who we really are. People who are sinful. And I wonder whether we see the reality of this in our nation, as I touched on earlier and Roger did in his prayer. Do we see that or do we think actually it's not too bad, you know, the UK is an alright sort of place to live. Well, in many respects it is. (laughs) But morally and spiritually, we're miles away from God. I've only lived my 60 odd years, so I can't comment in any other part of the nation's history. But right now, we're in a bad place as far as God is concerned. Do we see the reality of that in our nation? Importantly, do we see the reality of our own sin in the presence of a holy God? Do we understand that If there is good news, it's only good news because there's bad news. And the bad news is that we are sinners. (laughs) But the good news is that God has done something about it in the Lord Jesus. Wonderfully dealt with our sin and our rebellion if we would but trust him to do that in our lives. He is a God who keeps his covenant of love. He is a God of mercy and of grace and of kindness but he is also a God of holiness and purity, and sin will never be in his presence. We treat sin too lightly sometimes. Maybe I should speak to myself when I say that. I treat sin too lightly sometimes. I allow things to happen in my life that ought not to be happening. I allow thoughts to drift into my mind that ought not to be there. I allow words to come out of my mouth that ought not to come out of my mouth. And I treat it lightly, and I say a quick, oh, well, I'm sorry, Lord, shouldn't have said that. And I mean it, but I'm not sure that I understand the depth of it. Romans, the book the letter that Paul wrote, reminds us that we were once enemies of God. Implacably opposed to God. That's what sin did. <laughs> Made our hearts hard towards God. And even though many of us here this morning are Christian people who've had our sins forgiven and dealt with by Jesus, still we live in the daily reality that sin causes us a problem and we need to be those who confess our sin and find forgiveness in Jesus. Not treating it lightly, but recognizing it for the reality of what it is. So there's recognition, there's reality And the last of the R's is the word reverence. Verses 17 to 19. Something of the heartbeat of Daniel, something of his reverence, something of his holy respect might be another way of describing reverence for God is in these verses. Verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your Name. Daniel says, this is really important, God. I want you to be at work. This is not about your people, God. This is about you. This is about you. About your name, for your sake. Of course, the name of God was important to the people of Israel. It ought to be for us today. It spoke something of his essential character to them. Yahweh, God, the one who is above all. It spoke to them of that and the name of God was important. It was important that it was protected and hedged around and respected and revered. And you get that sense from Daniel. I love uh, the way the message paraphrase puts it. Turn your ears our way, God, and listen. Open your eyes and take a long look at our ruined city, this city named after you. We know that we don't deserve a hearing from you. Our appeal is to your compassion. This prayer is our last and only hope. Master, listen to us. Master, forgive us. Master, look at us and do something. Master, don't put us off. Your city and your people are named after you. You have a stake in us. And you see in Daniel that sense of reverence and awe as he recognizes the greatness of God and is. As I said earlier, almost desperate that God's name is, is upheld and that God works amongst his people. Not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy, he says there in verse 18. We do not make requests to you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. When we talk to God in prayer, it's not about me. It's not even about the people that we are praying for. Though, of course, there's an element of truth in that. It's actually all about God. It's about recognizing who He is and talking to Him in the light of that. There's a holy reverence, a holy respect about Daniel in his life, when you read his life story, and in his praying. He really wants God to do his work in his life and amongst the people amongst whom he lives. And there's a question for us as well. Whether that's something that we show in our lives. Do we reflect that sense of reverence, that holy respect for God in our lives? Do we approach God in that sense that knowing that he is great and awesome? Sometimes we're too flippant when we talk to God, I think. I suspect that the older you get, the more you think that is true. (laughs) But um, sometimes I think we're too flippant. Of course he encourages us to address him as Father. Jesus himself talked to God like that. And he encourages us. Indeed, in the scripture it talks about sometimes calling him Abba, Father. And Sometimes that's all we can cry out, Abba. Father, that's the only words we can find because we're in such a set of circumstances. But that should never lead us to be flippant in the way that we approach God and talk to God and think about God. I know some who talk about the man upstairs. Well, it wouldn't be the way I talk about God. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it, but I do wonder whether you should. (laughs) Because we are speaking of a God who is holy and awesome and sometimes we're just too casual, too easygoing. We don't recognize who it is we are speaking to. And I speak to my own heart every bit as much as I speak to yours. We ought not to be flippant in his presence. I don't know about you, I I have found for many years... um, a little acronym called ACTS, really helpful for me in my praying. Um, I use this uh, pretty much every day when I have my time quiet with God, as I try to do most days. This little acronym, which I just find really helpful, it simply means act Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. We begin with adoration, because... Um, whatever is happening in our lives, God is always worthy of our praise. Even when the hardest things are happening, He is still the great and awesome God. He is still worthy of our praise. So bring adoration. And then before you go any further, bring confession. Because we need to recognize before God our sinfulness and our weaknesses, our failures. And then to bring thanksgiving, before him, to say thank you for all the good things that he has done in our lives. I, I don't manage it every day, but I try, when I have my time of quiet, to reflect on the day before. I, I have my time with God in the morning, usually. By the time I get to the evening, I'm either in a meeting or asleep, one or the other. And uh, But for me, it works best if I have my time with God in the morning. That's not true for everyone, I know. But I try, when I do, to look back at the day before for a moment or, or three, and um, reflect what happened yesterday in which I can say thank you to God for whatever it was. And there's always things, aren't there, that we can say thank you to God for. And then, and then supplication. Then I begin to ask God to do things in people's lives and shape situations and all the things that occupy my heart and mind which are wide and various, as no doubt uh, yours are as well, about family, about church, about employment, about the world in which we live, about people that I know that I might not see so often these days. All those people and situations I want to talk to God about. And that's what I use as a model. I've used it for many years. I can't remember who taught me it, but I'm very grateful to them. (laughs) Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And that's a great way to talk to God in prayer because it gets the priorities straight. So as we conclude, thinking about the three R's, thinking about um, the recognition and reality and reverence that we ought to have as we talk to God in prayer as Daniel did. Just three things as we conclude. First of all, the obvious thing that comes out of the title of the talk this morning, that we should come to God in prayer, in humility. Not least, recognizing who it is that we approach in this way. It's not that I have some kind of, uh, that I can command God to do things. Daniel came humbly, recognizing his own weaknesses, recognizing the weaknesses of the people amongst whom he lived. And we need to come humbly. This is not about me, this is about God. Secondly, about prayer and how God answers it, we might need to recognize that uh, He might not answer prayer in the way that we anticipate that He will. And we need to be open to what He says to us as we talk to Him and as He answers prayer. We need to be willing to listen to His voice and that sense of direction that He gives us. And when he does answer, we need to be responsive and sensitive to what it is he's saying and where he's taking us and what his answers are. I can guarantee you that God always answers prayer. It may not be the answer we want or anticipate, but he always answers prayer. Sometimes the answer is no, but it's still an answer. I was reminded you remember that uh, film? I've never watched it all the way through, but Bruce Almighty, I don't know whether you've ever watched it. Um, I've only ever seen bits of it. I, I must get around to buying a coffee one day and watching all of it. But um, Bruce Almighty, when he, he is, if you've not seen the film, he's God for a little while. And um, he gets to a point where he decides that the only way he can answer all these prayers that keep flooding in is to say yes. And the chaos that ensues as a result of him saying yes to everyone's request, well, you can imagine. Of course, it's somewhat lighthearted. But God sometimes says no. And he says no because that's the best answer. So God always answers prayer. And that's my last point, that God answers prayer. Verse 23, we read um, earlier, uh, the last part of Roger's reading. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Daniel, God thinks highly of you. He sees the way that you walk with him. He sees the way that you approach him in prayer. He listens to you, and this is the answer. And then he goes on to give the answer. glad I wasn't Daniel because I didn't understand it when I read the answer and we're not going to go into that now. It's about prophecy about things happening in the future. But uh, nevertheless, the point is, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. In the message version it says this. Uh, Gabriel stood before me and said, Daniel, I have come to make things plain to you. You had no sooner started your prayer when the answer was given. And now I'm here to deliver the answer to you. You are much loved. So listen carefully to the answer, the plain meaning of what is revealed. God always answers prayer. It may not be quite what we expect, but he always answers prayer. I was reminded when I was... uh, preparing this as we come to a conclusion of a a lovely old hymn that uh, Augustus Montague Toplady wrote in the mid-18th century, Rock of Ages. Let me read two of the verses as we conclude. In this thought that it's not about us but it's about what God does in us and for us and who he is. He writes this, Not the labour of my hands can fulfil thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know, Could my tears forever flow, All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul eye to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. Older words. But the essence of it is, it's about God. It's not about me. It's about His work in us. And as we talk to God in prayer, that ought to be our approach. Coming with humility before the one who is a great and awesome God. Recognizing who we are and who He is that we might be those who have the joy of knowing that our prayers are heard and answered. Let's pray together before we sing our final song. Father, we come afresh this morning, recognizing again, as we did earlier in our praying, That you are indeed a great and awesome God. You are the great and awesome God. And we bow with reverence in your presence. We recognize something of who you are. As well as the reality of our own sin and failures. And we come... In that sense of humility, and pray that you will speak to our hearts through your word this morning. Help us to be a people who, in talking to you in prayer, understand the wonderful privilege that it is to talk to a great and awesome God in prayer. And to know too that you call us, you want us to call you Father, and we are your children if we know you and love you. Thank you so much for those wonderful truths. Thank you that you have not left us in our sin. We are conscious that we rebel against you. We are conscious of our evil ways, of our wickedness, of our sinfulness. But we thank you that you have not left us there, but in the Lord Jesus you have wonderfully dealt with our sin and rebellion such that we can come this morning with rejoicing hearts to worship you for who you are in the reality of your love for us. Help us, we pray, teach us about prayer, that uh, whether we know much about you and have walked for many years with you, or whether we are just beginning to learn about you, just beginning to discover the puzzle of prayer, so we might nevertheless be people who learn more and more about you day by day as we commune with you. So we bring you thanks, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy in Jesus' precious and lovely name. Amen. Let's stand to sing as we conclude a lovely